Welcome to the Lighthouse Podcast, a resource created by Lighthouse Family Retreat to strengthen families that are living through childhood cancer. You will hear stories from families, educational information on childhood cancer, and most importantly, we will encourage your family during this journey. Christy, we are back this week with Jeff Earnhardt, and we're talking about the Enneagram. Uh, as as you mentioned last week, being a three, you're the three. Yes, which we already we talked did my about number. You. We yep. talked about you last week, uh, and uh, and I'm a seven. Jeff's a seven, and that's a little overwhelming sometimes <laughs> for you when you're sitting in the middle of two yes. of them. Yes, and not everybody knows that we haven't got to seven yet, and we're not getting to seven today. But we're going to work our way there. Next week, we'll hit on the seven. Uh, but I'm excited for you guys to learn about four through six. So, Jeff, welcome back to this week's episode. We're glad you're here with us. Uh, for those of you that are listening and did not listen last time, we were talking about the Enneagram. And Jeff is our resident expert. He works with us on the team here at Lighthouse uh, to coach us on all things Enneagram. And so on the last episode, Jeff, you gave a really high level overview and we were able to get into one through three out of the nine. And this week we're going to get into types four through six. Uh, For those of you that didn't listen, definitely go back and listen. If you can pause now and go back and listen to the first one, but can you just go ahead and give, even though they're going to go back and listen because y'all are good followers of Mm -hmm. directions. And there's some good numbers on the last one. I'm just going to say that. That's right. Really good numbers. Let's go threes. (laughs) Uh, But give a high level, just quick you know, summary of, okay, what is the Enneagram real quick before we jump into type number four? Yeah, thanks for having me back. So the Enneagram is a powerful, scientifically validated, ancient personality typing system that teaches there are nine different ways to see people and their circumstances. So like we said last time, that's enough to bake your noodle to recognize that there is more than just your way to see people and there's more than just your way to see circumstances. There's at least eight other ways to do it. And it doesn't mean you have to master all other eight. It just means if you're aware that there's other ways to see it than the way you see it, it provides empathy. And empathy is a great tool for leveraging any relationship. And a a key point you talked about and we spent time talking about on the last episode was the idea of awareness and most importantly, self-awareness. Yeah, so uh, a mentor of mine says we rise and fall based on our definitions. So self-awareness for this instance is, are you aware of your strengths and weaknesses? Are you aware of what your emotional triggers are, right? What's going to send you into conflict? Are you aware of how you make decisions? Can you regulate in real time your thoughts, feelings, and actions and the effect they have on others? And if you listen to all that and you say, the answer is no, don't turn off the podcast like you're a failure, that this is the journey we're all on. The beginning of the journey is to figure out what are your strengths and weaknesses? A really great next step is to figure out what is your trigger? What sends you into conflict? And the Enneagram is a really great tool. It's not the only tool, but for my money, it is the best tool to help you figure out your self-awareness. And as we've talked about, self-awareness is not just um, for leadership teams and high-functioning corporations. Self-awareness is for any relationship, spouse, partner, siblings, children, softball team, any of the above. Yeah, and then you couple that self-awareness with, and it's important that you think through this lens as well of not just fast-forwarding to, I want to fast-forward to my type, right? Mm-hmm. It is it is that important that you also listen and learn the other types so that you not only have self-awareness of you, but also the awareness of how do you and your type interact with that next It's a type. jigsaw puzzle. Right. That's right. 
So it is really good, and like where you're going, it is really good to figure out ourselves first, and then we gain context for how other people are wired. And what we said last time was you never have to change your goal of what you need to say, yep. but you always want to be malleable enough to change your approach on how you say it. Hmm. And the influencer for that key is the person you're about to talk to. So how I'm going to communicate to an eight on the Enneagram is different than how I'm going to communicate to a five on the Enneagram or to a two on the Enneagram. It doesn't change what I need to say, right? Leaders never change the goal, but leaders change their approach on how to get to the goal. Right. I love it. Well, that's a great summary. Thanks for bringing everybody up to speed. Mm -hmm. Let's jump into the four. Let's jump into the four. So the ground rule reused last time was I'll tell you what the name of the Enneagram type is. Then I'm going to tell you what their core motivation is. Right, and we said last time, Charles Duhigg wrote this book in probably 2012 called The Power of Habit. And the reason we wanna know what motivates us is because Charles quoted a Duke psychology report that said, up to 40% of the time, uh, we are not in rational conscious thought. Up to 40% of the time, something else is influencing our behavior. And I believe that is your motivation. If you are aware of what is motivating you, then when you slip into habit or you slip into this unconscious mode, well, you're conscious. But as you slip into that, then you're gonna figure out what's driving the ship, what, what's right. motivating you. Yep. So we're gonna make that conscious. That's why we understand the motivation. And then every Enneagram type has a core fear. And if you can understand the core fear, then you know how not to communicate to your spouse. You know how to not communicate to a sibling or to a child. And then there's a worldview. And the worldview is about 2% right, about 98% malformed, but it feels right in the moment. It seems right because this is how you're wired. But we want to shed light that this is not largely accurate. There are going to be elements that seem true. And this worldview doesn't play at uh, a spinal tap 11 in your ears. It plays more at a 1. Yeah. So it is really subtle. It just plays in the background on loop all the time. And we'll have to put a link to Spinal Tap in the show notes. Yes, I really appreciate you actually <laughs> referencing that because ours does go to 11. That's right. That's what we do. Um, okay, so the four is known as the intense creative. Mm. The type four's motivation have to be unique and have to be authentic. And as soon as you hear the word have or must, you know that you've lost. If you have to do something other than brush your teeth, wear your seatbelt, then you're in a situation where you're no longer in charge. Something else is compulsing you to act mm. and you've lost control. So the motivations for, for the four have to be unique and authentic. Their core fear, uh, when they seem, when they feel uninteresting. Hmm. So just imagine if your goal is to be unique and authentic and you seem to blend in to a gray wall, that doesn't work. Think of a peacock. There is not um, an ecosystem in the world where a peacock blends into anything. The peacock always stands out. That's a little bit of the imagery of the four. Hmm. So here's the worldview of the four. Here's that tape that plays on loop 24-7 at a really low volume. <clears throat> Something is missing. I must find it in my life. I must find it in my life. I must express my authentic self. I must create beauty and meaning for, for myself and for others. Right. So when the four follows this worldview and says, hey, I want to create beauty, fantastic. That's when some of the best books, some of the best poetry, some of the best songs are written is when they want to do that, when they engage in doing that. But if they feel like they must do it or that's where they find their, their worth, then they've lost. Mm. So the, the fours in our world, when they choose to do this, it's great. But when they feel compulsed to do it, it goes sideways quick. 
So last time we talked about what what a healthy four would look like. Right. Yeah. What's the good? What are the what What are the great qualities of a four? The healthy the the healthy four, and we talked about. Um, there's hundreds of moments during our day when we move from healthy, healthy to unhealthy. To unhealthy. Yeah. So when the four is healthy, in those moments when it's it's buoyant, it's above the waterline, the four is sensitive. The four is known on the Enneagram as being the most in touch with their feelings. So if you looked up Pluchnik and his emotion wheel, there's probably eight core emotions and there's variations of all of those. The four could probably name all of the emotions on the emotion wheel. They could tell you wow. what pensive means without asking Siri. Right? <laughs> so the four is... Does that require... It means yeah. something to do with a pen? <laughs> yes, that's right. Yeah. It's, it's a gel pen. Yeah. Um, so the four, they're sensitive, which means that they're fully aware of their emotions, which is amazing and beautiful because most of us aren't. And the four is fully aware of their emotions, but yet they're content. So that worldview says, hey, something's missing. Right? And so the, the healthy four would say... Maybe there is something missing, but you know what? I'm okay. I'm content with this. Maybe, maybe there's always going to be something missing, and I think that we could all say there's something missing this side of heaven. But the healthy four would go, yeah, but today I'm content with that. Right? They're offering composure and authenticity to themselves and others. They are composed. They're not letting their emotions drag them out and drive all of their uh, decision-making. Right, composed means I'm fully aware of what I'm thinking, I'm fully aware of my feelings, and I will choose how I want to move forward. That's composure, right? We've seen kids throw temper tantrums, mm. not composed. Their emotions are driving the ship, not yeah. logic, not analytics. Um, and their authenticity is, uh, it's unparalleled. It, they can tap into something so deep, so rich, so beautiful, that you want them to pick up a guitar or a gel pen <laughs> and begin to write. <laughs> Right, that they can tap into something that most of us can't, but when they write it or sing it, we go, oh, that's, that's me. I've never had that language before, but now that yeah. I hear it, that's the handle on what I'm feeling inside. Yeah, they've captured it. They've captured it. Yeah. So in a season of childhood cancer uh, and a four, how does a, four, how does a four react and respond in, in the challenge and the crisis of, of childhood cancer? So I can imagine if there was a, a four parent who's wanting to be unique and authentic, right? At times choosing, well, I may find an expression of me. I may choose to write or draw or paint in a way that's expressive, but in how I'm gonna handle childhood cancer, maybe I'm going to fall in line. I'm going to do what is normal or interesting, or maybe not as interesting, but do something that is more in line with a pattern of what the doctor prescribes. This is not the time for me to find my own unique way through this. I need to lean in on what everybody else is doing, understand that, and then pick my path, hmm. right? So there's a time to be authentic, and then there's a time to kind of fall in line yeah. with what are best practices that I need to go through. And then the four is probably the one that's able to capture the emotion and the challenges of everything and put it in a great caring bridge page and, oh and a great journal or write a song about it or just be able to express the emotion to tell their story. Yeah, and to tell their story different than, than another, maybe. And I think every parent that tells their story of going through childhood cancer is absolutely worth hearing. Mm. But the four may just touch language that is out of the ordinary. Right, yeah. May just tell a story about uh, a way that, um, unfortunately, that light from the ceiling was you know falling on their mm. child's face, and they saw something. 
just be prepared with Kleenex or be prepared to write right. something down. Right. Because it could be absolutely beautiful what a what hundred of us see and would say, oh, 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 I see that. The four could just say, yeah, but I want you to look at it from this perspective yeah. or with this filter on. Mm. That's good. I don't know many four, so it's always intrigued me, the four, because we don't even have any, any. Yeah, there's not yet. a four on our team. Mm. Yeah, the word on the street is, on the Enneagram street, is that mm. four, uh, there's fewer fours in the U.S., than almost any other number. Hmm. Really? So think, kind of think about back to the peacock imagery. Yeah. You, you just don't you don't see a lot of fours, but when you see one, you know it. Right. Like and no kid walks outside and goes, "Hey, is that a squirrel?" And a kid's going to say, "No, that's a peacock." Right. No, you, you don't confuse the peacock with anything else. So yeah. when you when you see a four, you hear a four, you listen to a four. That depth of understanding, that depth of creativity and emotion that's coming out, you go. Hmm. And isn't it interesting that that stat lines up with the four? Because yeah. they're, unique. they're unique. That's right. Right. That's right. How about they're special. That? Yeah. There aren't as many. Hmm. Wow. That's that's deep. That's good. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> Jeff thoughts. makes us smarter. Deep thoughts. When he's here. Peacocks. Okay. Moving on then, because we have we have a very dear Katie. friend that's a five. What? Yes. Katie's in the background. Many yeah. of you know this. You've listened on other podcasts. She's our our uh, our resident producer and director and editor. So she's listening in. Um, she's our five on the team. We love her. So we, we love, love fives. fives. Yes. We Is do. there any especially better? this five? We yeah. love this five <laughs> very much. This five with a new last name. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Inside the last year. <laughs> But does, it makes perfect sense that she is the five on the team, and if anybody has figured out exactly the microphones you need, mm-hmm. the oh, order yes. of the cables uh, to produce the show, to get everything in order to understand everything that goes into creating a podcast, it's a five. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She runs this whole situation yeah. in us. She yes. runs us. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so the five is known as the quiet specialist, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Fives, uh, quiet because they can largely be introverted. And we all know the power of the introvert is you let them soak on something long enough and then you put them in a position where they need to communicate it. And when they do, everybody else just says, wow, we should have asked you this way sooner because you're really smart. So the quiet specialist, their motivation, they have to understand. So just to be the broken record, when you have to do something you have lost, the best part of the five is when they choose to understand. There are times when they don't need to understand, they need to say yes. Okay, I understand this is what you're saying we need to do. I'll comply, hmm. right? So when they have to understand, that's the trouble. But that's their motivation, have to understand. Their vulnerability or their core fear is to seem incompetent. If you want to see a five get triggered emotionally, then say or do something that makes them feel like what they've done is incompetent. Hmm. Like we said, hey, Katie, shouldn't you, shouldn't you have hit record on the podcast? Okay, Incompetence for the five, back to the weight analogy, nobody wants to feel incompetent. That's nothing unique for the five. But where that may feel like 10 pound weight for us, maybe that's a thousand pound weight to the five. It's like, Mm -hmm. if my whole worldview is I have to understand, and then you told me that what I've understood and what I've done is wrong, that's gonna trigger them. So here's their worldview. This is what's playing on loop, volume one, in the back of their heads. The world is intrusive. I must protect my resources and energy. When you say must, you lose. Is a five wired to protect their resources and energy? Yeah, right, because it's limited. But if they must protect it, that means they're, they're thinking too myopically, they're not thinking mm-hmm. big picture. Um, and they protect those resources so they can think. I don't need much, but I need my space. And that's probably the truest phrase I've heard for the fives that are in my life, is they don't need much, they're not driving the, the Maserati. Right. 
They're not wearing the most expensive clothes. They don't need the coolest gadgets, but there's a, there's a niche area for most fives where they will spend money. Most of the time, they're the most frugal people on the planet, right? So that's the worldview. That's, that's kind of what's, that's what's moving them through the world. But here's the healthy five. Yes. Healthy fives are visionary. Mm. They do so much bloody research that they just get things, right? They, they get the big picture vision and they're mindful, right? There's a little bit of a play on words there with mindful. They are in their own mind yeah. and they are, they are smart, they're intelligent, they are constantly absorbing the niche things in their world that they really want to understand. So most of us like to be well-versed and the five is well-versed, but they will go a mile deep in a handful of topics and just be um, super proficient in it. But they're also so humble, they won't tell you that they're the micro expert in it, hmm. but they know 10 times the amount of information of anybody else in the room. That, if you could see this smile, oh, Katie, that's so great. You are so describing Katie. I know. The difference is we do know that she's brilliant and yes. we do know the depth that she yes. knows. We absolutely do. So the other part of the Healthy Five is they offer the gift of non-attachment to themselves and others and that's super fancy. But non-attachment means they don't let emotions drive the ship, hmm. right? Like um, if you do any reading on the Greek Stoics, uh, Marcus Aurelius is one of them. And he was known as being always objective. And uh, in the books, they talk about him domesticating emotions. Hmm. So treating your emotions like a pet doesn't mean you get rid of it. It just means you tell your emotions to sit in the corner until you're ready to pick them back up. So the five's ability in crisis, if something is burning, look to the five. The five will direct you on what the next course of action is. The rest of us emotions have peaked. Yeah. The five is like, <laughs> yeah, looks like the third burner on the stove is out of, out of whack. It got the towel on fire. The macaroni and cheese is done. So I need everybody to walk calmly out of the building. They're not going to let their emotions drive the ship. So that's that non-attachment. That's great. It doesn't mean they forget emotions. They just hmm. domesticate them. So as you're th saying that, I'm thinking that is a perfect setup then for a mom or a dad whose kid's going through childhood cancer because it, it feels like the stove is on fire all the time. Mm. Well played. And so they are able to maybe more than the other numbers. I don't know. We haven't done all of them yet, but they have a unique ability to be able to look at this dumpster fire in front of them and kind of say, okay, you're going to go over here. You're going to go over here. Mm. We're going to go to the hospital and they can do it. They can lead that in a way that other numbers maybe cannot. That's a really yeah. great point. They will remain analytical. Now, can any number on the Enneagram get to an emotional state? Absolutely. The five's just got a longer runway before they're going to get emotional, before they take off into that emotional flight, hmm. right? So that analytical side is their competitive advantage. Now, at times, that can seem calloused or cold, right? When you're talking about childhood cancer, at times, you want to see some emotion from somebody. Right. As Christy, you well know, you've gone through it. Uh, so the, the, the competitive advantage of the five is that ability to stay calm, analytical, and cool under pressure. But I would imagine there are times when you need to see the rise of emotion in somebody to know they're in it with you. So, yeah, it, okay. it can play both ways. Hmm. We so, love you, Katie, and all of your fiveness. Yes. <laughs> so maybe we do something special for Katie and the five. Uh, values. And this isn't something we've talked about for all of them, but there's a certain way that you can communicate the value of all the Enneagram type. But for the five, if we were telling the story of how great Katie is, we wouldn't just throw platitudes at her. We, we would tell stories of when Katie's wisdom was on display or when Katie's knowledge or her quest for truth mm -hmm. uh, played out in the way she led a meeting or she led a team or the way she led something or what she did. So when you can communicate um, 
words that mean a lot to somebody, that's what we want to do. So each of the Enneagram numbers have those values. And when you can leverage them to tell stories about somebody, hmm. it just resonates a little bit louder. That's right. So that's for the five. Because the five wants to understand. So that's why we're introducing values for the five. She's worth every extra. That's right. Way to go, five. <laughs> Way to go. Quick note on the five. I know we don't have a lot of time for this. The, the way the Enneagram came into our family, right? So we, a lot of what we're talking about, it's not just for the leadership team of an organization, but a lot of this is it works for any relationship. Right. So we have a five in our family, and understanding how the five's brain works in terms of uh, I don't need much, but I need my space. Mm-hmm. It helped us parent our five. Yeah. That when the five, when our five got in trouble in our family, uh, we tried everything from taking technology away to reducing something else. And what our five, what, and hear this the right way, what, what landed the hardest right. <laughs> was when we told him that he had to leave his door open. Ah. Because the five wants that solitude. It wants mm. that um, kind of all four walls secure in front of me. And I know what my surrounding is to leave the door open and to have siblings walk by, that moved the needle, that that got us to a modified behavior quicker than anything else wow. did. So time out with your door closed is not the way to go. Uh-uh. That's, you're, giving, you're giving a treat there. Yeah. yeah, yeah, go to your room is like, yes. No, don't throw me in the briar patch. No, 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 <laughs> right, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah, That's so right. the, the Enneagram, great for the boardroom, great for um, any relationship That's at awesome. All. That's great. Okay, so moving on, because I can count pretty well here, so (laughs) I guess I'll move on to the six. Nice. Nicely done. Yes. The type six, loyal skeptic. Their motivation, have to be safe and have to belong. And again, now that you're hearing this pattern of when you hear half or must, you're out of control, you've lost it. Jeff, the thing I always think about with the six, uh, and we don't have the benefit of, of, of seeing it here, but there's a graphic uh, that I think maybe it was on the, the workbook or something that we had. It's right in front of me, yeah. But it's this great graphic of uh, a person on a sunshiny day. Not a cloud in the sky. Not a cloud in the sky holding an umbrella. <laughs> great. So not only are they holding the umbrella, like not only do they have the umbrella with them on a, on a day where there's no clouds in the sky, they have the umbrella actually open and directly above their head with two hands firmly on the handle. <laughs> Just in case. Just in case. So that's the, that's the best of the six, and that's where we have to do the most work with the six. The six, so they, they have this idea they have to be safe and they have to belong. Because, um, to your point, Chris, on the umbrella, their core fear is not being prepared. Mm. The question that they ask over and over in their mind is what if? What if? What if? And when healthy, they are the best strategists and risk assessors on the team. Mm-hmm. Yep. Absolutely. So when you divide your teams into this is a wow moment where we're going to dream, you just tell the six to put their feet up and just listen. <laughs> Take right? a little break. <laughs> engage when you want to. Engage with this creatively. But the, the wow of, okay, now how are we going to make this real? How are we going to, how are we going to exercise this? That's when the six comes alive is the, is the risk assessment. I'm not telling you sixes aren't creative. I've got a six in my house. She's wildly creative. But she's constantly asking in her mind and when she's confident out loud, what about mm-hmm. have we mm-hmm. considered so important what do you want to yeah. do with it's a if you're a startup if you're a joint venture if you're doing something brand new find a six love them pay them a lot of money bring them on the team help them help you by risk assessing mm-hmm. their worldview the world is threatening in an unsafe place right so remember the worldview there's a little bit of truth in all of it so the world can be 
threatening and an unsafe place. The world is not a threatening and unsafe place. Mm. The sixth says uh, in the worldview, be prepared, be loyal, careful who you trust. Mm. Right. So you can see if that's the mindset, that's going to prevent you from doing some of the things that you want to do. Right. So back to the idea of have to be safe and belong. There's a lot of times when you need to you need to move past safety to do what is in your soul that you feel like you have been led to do. You're going to have to take a step outside of safety. And I'm not saying drive without your seatbelt. I'm not saying ride a motorcycle. I'm just saying that you may have to step outside of what your friends are doing. You may have to step outside of what the norm is. You may have to step outside of what your social group is doing and take a stand. So for a six, that can be wildly threatening. But here's what the healthy six would say. The healthy six, they're courageous and they're connected to an inner sense of knowing. So this is where the courage is. When the six has that inner sense of knowing, hey, I need to step away from this friend group that's doing this. I need to step outside of this company because the company's doing this. And then they have the courage to do it. It's, it's, it's hair on fire, it is electric, it is, you feel like everything around you is unstable. But when you listen to that voice that's inside your soul and you follow it with that courage, sixes wind up making more times than not the right choice. Hmm. But it's them choosing to follow that still small voice that's in their soul. That's when the six is just unparalleled, right? So as you're talking, I'm imagining, again, I'm going back to your your child has cancer, or someone in your family has cancer. And I can see kind of both ways where they would probably be super prepared. The hospital bag would be stuck. That is such a great they point. They would be ready for the, you know, for an hour appointment, they'd be prepared to stay a week. But <laughs> on the flip side, when your child has cancer, nothing's safe. Like mm. nothing is safe. So the anxiety level of already when you believe the world is not a safe place and now, oh my gosh, it really isn't because something has happened to your child. I could imagine that that on the flip side is a very, very hard thing to overcome and adds a lot of stress to an already you know, awful situation. This feeling of depression or anxiety mm-hmm. probably becomes magnified by an order of 10. Wow. Could easily see that. Because now you don't have the solution or the answer to what if. Right. The doctor just told me this. What if this happens? What if I can't do this? What if I get home and I can't? What if, what if, what if? And so the idea for that six is to bring them back to the present. Hmm. Okay, you might not be able to think of all those, but what can you do here? What is almost back to that stoic mindset? What is the next right thing you can do? Yeah. What can you seize hold of right now? Hmm just the next step because there are so many what ifs I think it's oh the, my of all times in my life that was the one time there were two men I mean it was just every single day there's what if yeah. what if, and there are no answers ever so. okay so real quick you had to sign a bunch of documentation oh, yeah. when yeah. you first heard yeah first what, day what were what were some of those things the doctor said hey the the, the medicine that your son's going to take mm-hmm. may cause may cause infertility he may not do well in school it could actually cause you know brain function loss it could cause damage to his heart to his kidneys i mean yeah just just then that was the first day that was only like your first hour you have leukemia here's the book and and i had trouble with it but as a six if that's if your what if is all off the charts i don't know how you'd get past the second page yeah yeah wow well um tremendous amount of value in asking the what if and always being prepared those are just i mean they're they're really really important 
but let's talk about what's fun. Hold on, Chris. I know you both have been dying to get to seven. <laughs> Your patience has been impressive, which is very, very hard for sevens. We waited two episodes. I know, I know, and I'm I'm very impressed, but we do not have time today for the seven. Can you wait one more week? One more to week. Talk about your number. One more week. I'm okay. up for the adventure. I'm okay. Next week, finally, we're going to round out the Enneagram with number seven through nine, and we hope you come back and join us. Until then, we'll see you later on the next episode of the Lighthouse Podcast.